It's summertime, and that means it's time to get outside and enjoy the weather with some crisp, refreshing Bud Lights. Bud Light has the perfect summer lineup with Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Orange, both brewed with real citrus peels. New and just in time for summer is Bud Light Lemon Tea, brewed with real lemon peels and tea leaves. It's the ideal drink for summer, but it's only here for a limited time, so get it before it's gone. And to really get you in the summer spirit, Bud Light is giving everyone the chance to win the getaway of a lifetime. You can win two tickets aboard a VIP cruise to the Bahamas this summer, featuring a live performance by Jake Owen and, of course, plenty of Bud Light. For a chance to win, simply post your Bud Light summertime photos using the hashtag Real Enough to Get Away and hashtag Bud Light Contest on Facebook and Instagram. See BudLight.com slash Real Enough to Get Away for more details. Welcome to Ringer Dish. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm going to be honest, we had a different podcast planned for today, but then a conflagration was ablaze yesterday on Sunday and we had to discuss it. So I am joined by my colleague, Ringer staff writer, Rob Harvilla. Hi, Rob. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. This is my Ringer Dish debut and I'm very (laughs) excited. No better occasion than to discuss the latest feud that Taylor Swift finds herself in. And this one is... Absolutely. Taylor Swift. You know, it's funny. I believe one of our colleagues, either Andrew Godadaro or Donnie Clock, asked on Slack last week or two weeks ago after the Taylor Swift music video for You Need to Calm Down dropped in which Katy Perry is featured. They're like, now that Katy and Taylor are no longer feuding, like what's our biggest celebrity feud? There wasn't a really compelling answer, but I think we have it. <laughs> Taylor Swift versus the world, Taylor I think, Swift. is just the perpetual biggest feud it, it truly is. And there's like a lot to parse here. So first, if you don't know about this feud, here's what happened. Taylor Swift, until her album coming out, we now know August 23rd, called Lover, until that album has published all of her albums with Big Machine uh, Records, which is a small, a formerly small record label started in Nashville with Taylor Swift. She was the first client and the first person that they published. She has gone on to work with them for many years, and then she famously last year, I believe, switched to uh, Universal, I I believe. And Republic, yeah, Re- uni- on the Universal Music Group, yeah. Yes. Okay, thank you. And um, she's moved on from Big Machine, but they still own her masters, which we'll get to. And it was announced yesterday that Scooter Braun's holding company, Ithaca Holdings, bought Big Machine. So he now owns Taylor Swift's back catalog and the rights to like big, big, little, little big town, little big town, many other mostly country (laughs) artists, Thomas Rhett. (laughs) And as a result of this news dropping on a Sunday morning, Taylor Swift took to Tumblr and she wrote a lengthy post about how Scooter owning her catalog is her worst case scenario and how she feels that he's been bullying her for years and was very upset. And from there, we're all off to the races. Does that about sum it up? That about sums it up. Thank you for bringing a little big town into this. I think that's a really uncovered <laughs> aspect of this. That's the really important thing here. We can get to that later. But yeah, thanks thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> no problem, Rob. I'm happy. So let's first talk about like what all of the industry jargon means. What does it mean to own your own masters? 
I mean, it's I, I I talked this morning to Bill Wordy, who you used to run Billboard magazine, and he said like plenty of people in the music industry still don't know exactly what that means. It it, it means to own the recordings themselves, to have control of the recordings themselves, and that is distinct from owning your own publishing, which is you know the songs as compositions, you know the lyrics and everything. And it's to to be control of that catalog, like theoretically, it involves like doing reissues or, or putting them on streaming services. Obviously, Taylor Swift has a long history of being combative with streaming services, pulling her catalog from Spotify, you know, writing op-eds about the way Apple Music uh, initially did royalties for streaming. I it's it's in control of all that stuff, greatest hits packages, and also of course like syncs, like like putting put, putting songs in movies, putting them in ad campaigns, things of that nature. Like you you need both uh, owning the masters and and the publishing, you know, to control those things. And it's it's almost never artists almost never own their own masters. Like you think all the way back to the Beatles, like that's a long sorted, you know, insanely convoluted story in and of itself. Like Michael Jackson owned the Beatles catalog. There's back so in many eighties. Like there's so many funny yeah. things that is either true or rumored that Michael Jackson has owned. Like I is it was yes. it ever true that Michael Jackson owned the rights to Happy Birthday? <laughs> Oh wow! I I I believe it. I'll believe. <laughs> I'll, I'll believe only Michael Jackson in history as someone who might have owned Happy <laughs> Birthday. That makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely, yes. And so I I have a question about the Masters because something I saw on Twitter from um at Yasher Yasher Ali who's a who you know ah, yes kind of a Twitter reporter. One thing that he posited that I like had never heard heard of never thought of or heard of was that. Because she owns her publishing catalog, but does not own her master, she could re-record all of her songs. Oh God! Is that is that even true? Like, could that even happen? I it that sounds plausible to me. I that sounds also incredibly unlikely. I mean, the the, the question here is. You know, it's obviously she is Taylor has reacted as viscerally as she has, as angrily as she has, because of Scooter Braun's association with Kanye West. Obviously, Scooter is best known for managing Justin Bieber, has from the beginning. He was associated, Scooter was, with Kanye for a few years. But if I'm remembering this right, like not during the the major part of the Kanye and Taylor feud, right? Like this goes all the way back, obviously, to the MTV video music yeah. awards fiasco, but forward to famous to Kanye's yes. song, calling out Taylor and whether Taylor knew it was going to happen and Kim Kardashian gets involved. Like the, the the idea is that Scooter is is involved in that feud and is on the wrong side of that feud and it and has been bullying Taylor Swift due primarily to his association with that feud. And 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 the question is whether or not that's true. But in this situation if somebody owns your catalog, like you are working with them, ideally, like it's right. Scooter Braun bought that catalog for X, it was like $300 million. Yeah. And the idea is that he will benefit. It is to his benefit now to, you know, to burnish Taylor Swift's image, you know, to take care of her image and legacy. Like they're both theoretically on the same team now. They should and the be. The question is whether they can get, yeah. The question is whether they can get on the same team after all of this. Right. Right. And that's sort of where where then things seem to devolve. And to your point about like when Scooter got involved with Kanye, I think he is yeah. he's no longer officially involved in Kanye. He was involved, I think, for a short time around the life of Pablo, which is also in twenty sixteen. Well, um, right. Yeah, that's the record. So okay. Yeah. But I don't think I I don't think that he you know, he wasn't 
part of the original feud. I will say, though, it kind of goes go back far with Scooter because Taylor and Bieber, I think, pretty famously right. didn't get along. Like, there's this gif or, like, a quick video from, I think, the Billboard Music Awards in, like, 2012 or 2013 where Taylor uh-huh. sees Bieber and Selena Gomez together backstage and she, like, does, like, a, like, sticks her tongue out or, like, a look of disgust. And so she's always... <laughs> <laughs> it it does it goes back far. Obviously, the Kanye and okay. Kim stuff is different, but I do think there yeah. are there are ties. There are sort of like the earlier phases of Taylor. She actually was at odds with Bieber from an early time, which is I think kind of going underreported here, in my opinion. Because I just I, I so- defer totally to your wisdom there. I, I believe you. <laughs> I also think one other note. One other note about Scooter right now that I think is like helpful context is when that Vogue article about um, Haley Baldwin and Justin Bieber came out right after they got married, right. Scooter wasn't even quoted in it. So it's kind of interesting. Scooter's it's, kind of a, in a different phase. Everyone's in a different phase than once we met, met them and once they began sure. fighting. So it's um it's kind of a funny situation. But so, yeah. So, okay. So if she couldn't record all of her new music, she, maybe she could. <laughs> Just seems ridiculous. Um, right. But they hypothetically should now be working together. But it's hard to know if that will ever actually happen, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you have to think things will sort of settle down from here. But it's just the the, the dissonance of the Kanye aspect of this just sort of ruins everything. Like, it's just, it's so hilarious the way that just just never ends. Yeah. And every subsequent thing that Taylor Swift is, is involved in is is tainted by that association and like whoever she's working with is tainted by that association. It's just for this to still be like the defining fracas of her career, you know, however many years on from like the initial, when was the actual MTV VMAs thing? It was the like I'm that's let at you least finish? 10 years. Yeah. Um, that was like, I'm going to look it up or right something. now. I yeah. Think, it's, I think it, it, I think it was a wait. I think you're yeah, correct. And so I, Okay, but it's yeah, it's it's 2009. It's 2009. Okay, okay, all right. So yeah, it's the tenth anniversary. We should all be preparing, <laughs> you know, our our packages. I seriously, yeah. I mean, the the baseline issue here is that it it is very strange and very predatory, and just feels very wrong that in the music industry, almost nobody owns their masters, right? You know, and the question is that the public, I think, has sort of an incomplete view of what that actually means. Like I. You think about Prince, right? Everybody remembers in the 90s when Prince was feuding with Warner Brothers, you know, and he, like Prince wrote the word slave on the side of his face and he changed his name, you know, to an unpronounceable symbol and just created the artist formerly known as blank meme, you know, that we still enjoy and delight in today. And it's it that was a fairly from Prince's perspective like a righteous cause and it made sense and his grievances made sense, but it's remembered in history as sort of this wacky thing that Prince did. It's just everybody understands on a fundamental level why an artist should own their own work, but not really the details of why an artist doesn't or how an artist would come to own their own work and and just what that fundamentally means. Well, a lot of the reason why they don't own the actual recordings is because it's like tied to how the label pays for studio time and kind of like facilitates the recording, essentially. Is that correct? No, exactly. I mean, the, the the existential question here is obviously, as you say, like Big Machine was a startup. Taylor Swift was their first, the label's first client. And so the question is, did Taylor Swift make Big Machine or did Big Machine make Taylor? And like, what are the percentages there? And like, what is yeah. what does Big Machine deserve 
for its role in making Taylor Swift famous? And what does Taylor Swift deserve for making herself famous and also Big Machine? Making Big Machine worth whatever, like three, $300 million. Like That's sort right. of the existential question. And it's answered almost always to the favor of the label. Yeah. You know, and, and and again, talking to Wordy, he says, like, the music industry is a crapshoot. Like, you're betting on somebody. You're betting on an artist and there are insurmountable odds to that artist becoming a superstar anywhere near the cali- caliber of Taylor Swift. And so for Big Machine to put that level of trust and promotion and money into her, like, this is their bet paying off. Like, this is, it's reasonable for them to own her catalog because they're the ones who put the money in the industry backing behind her to begin with. And you can understand that on an intellectual level, but again, on a moral level, it's just the true sentence, Taylor Swift doesn't own her own music. Just It just feels wrong in I just think, an, an obvious way. Yeah. And I think also it's pretty remarkable that Taylor Swift has gotten, I think, increasingly bad at her public feuds to the point where people right. are willing to trust like kind of like yeah that makes sense <laughs> checks out that the record label should own her masters like i don't think right, any exactly. I don't, people weren't like fighting for the beatles record label like no everyone was on prince's side you know what i mean and it's sort of yes. a te- it's a testament to her tactics or uh, and, and how poor they are at this point that people think that big machine could be right here or you know it just, it's kind of wild, but that sort of gets to how she went about this, which is she posted this Tumblr piece and she claims that she had no right. knowledge whatsoever of, right, right. of the deal. And since that conversation, since she posted that, there's a lot of evidence that maybe she she did have an inkling. Number one is her father's on the board of directors of, of Big Machine. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Scott Borchetta, who who runs Big Machine, like did that big post and pointed out, as you say, that Taylor's dad is on the board. Scott says I, it's weird, like he types out text messages but doesn't screen cap them, yeah. which is sort of suspicious, I guess. But like she says, like I texted Taylor the night before the Wall Street Journal article announcing this. Like it's it just casts a lot of you know suspicion on the notion that she couldn't have known. Like once again, we're in the realm of Taylor Swift and receipts, right? You know, and this is this is a lot more. Not, I mean, it's a lot more of an industry arcane sort of situation than the previous receipts issues. But yeah, it's it's the same thing. Where, as you say, like people people are so averse to Taylor Swift at this point that they're willing to side with record industry executives over her, which is incredibly bizarre. I also don't understand why she has to. You know, I think everyone believes their own narratives. We don't need to go too deep on psychology, but. <laughs> You make it so much worse for yourself, like in any kind of dispute or debate or argument, when you have a really solid case and then you like embellish like a couple of facts. Like, why do you have to do that? Like if she had not, if she could have just omitted the line, even if she did know and couldn't stop the fact that Scooter Braun was buying her catalog, why did she have to include the line saying she found out like everyone else did? Like, that's actually kind of like how you found out Mm -hmm. the news is actually besides the point to the broader philosophical and, like, right. moral question of, like, should she own her own masters and, like, sh- how 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 artists and record labels work together. Like, that's sort of, like, not, to me, like, neither here nor there. I don't really care when she found out. That it's, do, you right. feel, do you think it's possible she didn't know? That's pure conjecture. 
It is it is possible, but very unlikely. I mean, the, the way that Scott Borchetta lays it out, like there was it, there was her dad, Taylor Swift's dad, but also a couple other people. Like it sounds like this has basically been in the works for the last week. He texted her, and I guess I do believe that as well. Like it is in the realm of possibility that she didn't know, but I'm pretty sure that she knew. It's he makes a very strong case that she did know, and as you say, like it shouldn't matter, and it really doesn't matter. But yeah, the fact that she would embellish that just sort of casts a versions on the rest of this and her sort of immediately jumping to the Kanye West of it all like just dragging all that stuff back into this right I think just immediately muddies the waters like I just this is a very serious and just sort of lifelong music industry issue and there are legitimate cases to be made on both sides in terms of who should own masters and who's responsible for an artist's success and all this but to have to immediately first tailor herself to immediately muddy that by just bringing all the Kim and Kanye stuff back into it I now we're going to talk about that right now right. now it's going to be just several days of, of clapbacks or whatever on that score and we're not talking about masters anymore we're not talking about Taylor Swift situation we're not talking about the music industry as a whole like now we're just going to relitigate this for like the 50,000th time and I don't think that serves anybody no and the other thing that's kind of ironic about this to me is that like one of her biggest and best known songs is Mean which she wrote about Kanye West allegedly <laughs> And I think one of Taylor's mm. issues right now, in addition to getting increasingly bad at the public fight, is her music isn't as good. Like, I, I think if, if her well, music... right. I think, and so <laughs> she's gone really, really poppy and sort of like leaned into her, I think how she perceives internet culture, like through kind of the coding she did with her jacket on the cover at Entertainment Weekly and the latest video yeah. for You Need to Calm Down. But like... <laughs> Her country music roots, it's like, I think that when that comes through in her music is when she's her her best performer and and, and her music sounds best. And it, it to me, it's funny, like in everything that she said, both in her the Tumblr post and according to Scott Borchetta's um, transcribing of her text message to him, like she's she's betting on herself and choosing her future versus her past. And I I would like to believe in that because I think she I think she's got some hits. I mean her first four albums, five albums are like fantastic. Yeah. Um but that music doesn't she doesn't seem to be interested in it, in it anymore. So I think there's like a weird like like kind of melancholy poetry in this that she in right. some ways is losing the ownership of what I consider to be her best music even, even if she doesn't see that or believe that and obviously that's completely subjective um and kind of like a, a very like editorialized interpretation of this feud from my own position of, of melancholy about taylor swift but it it does pervade it it's sort of like okay so right now she's left with two singles which have i think probably underperformed by her standards in Definitely. an album that, that she hopes is good and meanwhile she doesn't control you know love story shake it off style right Blank, I mean, like all of this, all of these great songs. It's just kind of weird. It does. It's and it's also such a strange transition because she has really spent the last like two years, three years, kind of being like the old Taylor is dead. And it kind of it's like it's like a very narratively, it's very eerie to me. And I'm kind of like, I just find it all to be a bummer. Well, of course. I mean, I I love Taylor Swift's music, you know, and I'm I consider myself a fan for sure. And I think like most fans, like I, I think everyone's sitting around waiting for the country comeback record, right? Like yeah. that's what people were hoping that her seventh 
upcoming album was going to be, and it's clearly not going to be that. And I don't think anybody would argue that she's doing her best work right now. You know, the, the yeah. first two signals are, are not terrible exactly, but they're they're regressive. You know, they're they're super super poppy and childlike and indistinct, and they just they just lack the the sharpness and the personal aspect of, of as you say of her best work of all her work really that preceded this and i yeah she's just it, it it doesn't help if you're an artist and you're trying to control your narrative and you're you're trying to cast yourself as like fighting against the music industry and the nefarious forces if you're just if you're not doing your best work if if people are just not behind the music that you're doing right now the way that they previously were and it's i mean it's it it's been entirely overshadowed by all this label stuff just in the last 24 hours but you know you need to calm down down in that video and just the way that Taylor has come out so strongly, you know, for gay pride and, and LGBTQ type issues. And, you know, some people are really happy with that and think that's really noble. Some people think that she's sort of glomming on, you know, to this cause in like a Nick Jonas sort of way, you know, that's a little bit craven. And it's people, there's a lot of schadenfreude out there right now. The fact that Lil Nas X's Old Town Road has been the number one song in America for however long, the last two months at least. And it keeps knocking Taylor Swift singles off, you know, keeping them from the top spot. And ironically, it's a country crossover song, much like, well, and while... His, exactly. Yeah. And Lil Nas X came out as as gay last yeah. last night, and it's just once again, it, she just can't control this narrative, and she she can't. Get, it, that's just very, 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 very funny, in yeah. just a fundamental way. And it's it's she's just everything is a misstep to her right now. It's just no, nothing feels aligned, and she's just she's just not her best self in any sense. It's such a bummer because like, I, yeah. I, I mean, first of all, Lil Nas X isn't just a truly amazing story, and congratulations yeah. to him and I hope it I hope that he continues to have great success seriously he just the New York Times ha, um, Diary of a Song video that he did about like, I think yes, it was in May yes. is like the single most charming video I've watched in a very long time and I, <laughs> I, I I like just adore him and I think his producer Young Keo also seems really sweet and that's right I think the two of them Young Keo and Little Nods X particularly Little Nods X like just have the authenticity behind what they're doing that Taylor used to have. And I think people really connected to, but for some reason, Mm -hmm. her, her pivot to pop music and just her incredible level of success and fame has undercut her ability to like connect. And so it makes everything feel craven and hollow, even when you want to root for her. Like, I just feel like every time I talk about her on a podcast, it's so critical, (laughs) but I'm really rooting for her. Like I would love the great music and the fun Taylor to come back. Right. Yeah. No, I think you're exactly right. It's just, she's just, she's an unsympathetic figure, even when by all rights, she should be a sympathetic figure. And we go back to what you said. It's just the fact that we're siding or people are even considering siding with the music industry over a superstar musician is just kind of insane. Like the music industry is terrible and terribly predatory. (laughs) And it is fundamentally ridiculous that the music industry owns all the music it makes and the musicians, even the super successful musicians, even up to the Beatles, almost never own their own music. Like that's wrong. You know, I understand in a legal sense and like a risk sense why that is, but it's just wrong. But even that is clouded over again by, yeah, just, just Taylor having just lost the plot to some degree, both musically and just in terms of her PR narrative. Right. It's really, it's unfortunate. For more on this and the predatory ways of record labels owning <laughs> masters of hugely successful artists, check out Rob's piece on TheRinger.com. And uh, Rob, thank you so much for coming on Ringer Dish today. It's great to talk to you. Of course. Anytime. Thank you.
Now I'm joined by another Ringer staff writer, Alyssa Bresnak, who has done some reporting into how deals are structured for the streaming age. And so we can get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of what big machine Scott Borchetta shared. And we'll also get into some of the celebrity aspect here, who's on what side. So Alyssa, let's discuss. How are you? I'm great. This is my Super Bowl. Oh, my goodness. Me too. I was, like, out of brunch yesterday <laughs> when Taylor Swift's Tumblr post dropped, and I just, like, stopped what I was doing. And I was like, guys, there's Taylor Swift news happening. Yeah, and I just want to, like, give a shout-out to Comments by Celebs, that Instagram account, because they've just been on the Oh, case. my God, I know. Thank you. Seriously. <laughs> This is a side note, but it was a really big weekend for me on in terms of social media, like finding source, like finding resources on social media because Brittany and Jax of Vanderpump Rules got married, and um, oh wow, and uh, yeah, congrats, it was, <laughs> congrats to them. Four weddings this weekend. It was like it was an overload, but it was just a lot of fan, a lot of service accounts out there capturing all of the content and putting them in stories, and I just really appreciated it. We salute you guys. Yeah, truly. Um, so Scott Borchetta. In part of his rebuttal to Taylor Swift, he there's sort of like kind of a two-pronged rebuttal. One is that her father had knew or had the option of knowing about this because he's on the board of Big Machine and there were board phone calls. The Swift side of it says that Scott Swift didn't participate, so he didn't have to withhold information from his daughter. But then Scott Porchetta said a, a lawyer representing Scott Swift was on the call. So it's possible that Taylor could have found out. Uh, that was kind of like point A that he made. And point B was that before she decided to go with Republic, which is part of Universal Music Group, they discussed a deal in which Taylor Swift could have owned her own masters and and all of her own, like really like her masters and all like ancillary material related to her her albums, um, which meant like fo- like photos from photo shoots, cover art, stuff like that. He shared a screenshot that showed what Taylor Swift proposed and then what Big Machine proposed. And then those were obviously terms that were not agreed on because she left the company or she left the record label. But he did make something of an offer to her. And what she asked for was ownership of her masters and then a a new kind of seven-year deal. And what they asked for was she got to own her masters, but a 10-year deal. Is that, those kinds of deals common in the 2019 streaming music landscape? They're getting a lot shorter. And that's just because people like listeners don't care as much about albums like singles have much more value as we've seen like with the Lil Nas X sort of TikTok phenomenon like he only had one hit song and then he was signed and you know now he has an album out but uh this is just an example of like a single can take someone really far um and there are in our artists who just kind of base their entire I don't know, careers on it. Like, even though Katy Perry comes out with albums, like, let's be frank, like, it's about the singles. Um, (laughs) So usually it's a benefit for an artist to sign with a record uh, label for a long time because that implies that there's a certain form of um, artist development there. You know, they're going to give that person the resources to succeed and to sort of develop their catalog. And then now there's, uh, these deals tend to be a lot shorter So I think that's where, like, the discrepancy of, like, the seven versus ten years comes in. It's, like, they don't see as much value as um, in investing in an artist's career, and maybe on a certain level she sends that. Right. It's it's more about what you can get out of them in in that certain time. It's, like, less less like a crafted journey together, essentially. 
Yeah, and it's like I imagine like by the time seven years has passed, like Taylor Swift might be kind of irrelevant. So right. it's true. She, you know, she's looking to to sort of secure her future in the sense that you know she's always going to have this amazing legacy, but she wants them to continue to pour resources into supporting her, and maybe they were like a little less cool with that. Right. Right, right. And the other thing that's sort of just like weird here is Rob mentioned this previously. He types out, Scott Borchetta typed out um, his correspondence with Taylor Swift instead of screenshotting it. But then he includes like a screenshot or a PDF, whatever this is, of the contract. And so it's just sort of like a messy way to do receipts. Like I... For sure. And that's like kind of like a weird note on this to me is that everyone is telling their own their own side of the story which is obviously to be expected but it's almost like the sense of receipts like doesn't even apply in this conversation because everyone has something different they can point to and it's it's just like very confusing like why only share this part of the deal memo if it's you know there has to be more to this than just the masters of I mean in the deal of course and I'm sure that there was more to this that just made it complicated It's just very strange. Yeah, and, like, there's no, like, you know, he didn't uh, post extensive communication about, like, the discussions of these deals, like, what happened in between, like, what they proposed and what she proposed. Like, that's a really important part of the story. I mean, we've, like, seen this so many times before with Taylor Swift that there's, like, a bunch of other stuff going on in the background, and then we get, like, a couple pieces of proof. You know, she doesn't fare very well in the age of receipts. Like, it seems like people kind of have a lot of stuff against her, and she'll sort of portray it one way, and then when someone else comes out with their version, she's like, please remove me from this narrative. Yeah. I have a question for you on that. Please remove me from this narrative. So that um, was—I'd like to be excluded from your narrative was in reference to her last fight with Kim Kardashian, right? Yeah, and— I mean, Kanye West, right? he was like the crux of it, yeah. Yes, so that's sort of, she kind of obviously keeps circling back to them. One thing that happened yesterday after her Tumblr post came out is that her fans like went after Scooter Braun on social media. To what extent do you think you can hold Taylor Swift accountable for any backlash Scooter might have gotten as a result of Taylor's post? I would usually say that that's something that stars can't really control, but there it's i don't want to say it's like a dog whistle cuz that's like has racist implications yeah. but there is like a certain level of like if you call out a specific person and they are on social media like they're definitely going to get bombarded by fans you know we've seen this like the beehive is extremely sensitive to this kind of stuff like they'll yeah. just go out after whoever they think it might be and i think that uh specifically for taylor she's complained so many times about being bullied during that whole Kim Kardashian Kanye West feud you know like she's held on to this imagery of the emoji snakes that um, everyone was like posting below her Instagrams and you know she actually even inspired a feature on Instagram that like allows celebrities to like filter certain emoji or words yeah she staked reputation in that whole album on kind of the snake emoji Contretemps, essentially. Yeah. And and it, the her whole argument there was that she was being bullied. So it's very interesting because it's like, okay, well, then you have a chance to call someone out and you call them out by name and they're being bullied in the same way like Taylor Swift fans are going after Scooter Braun. Like, I don't know. kind of seems like you also caused that. So I, it's weird. She wants to, like, take responsibility in some cases or, like, push that responsibility on people in some cases but not take the responsibility herself. 
I really want to be on Taylor's side. I mean, in our kind of our group Slack on The Ringer, you and I are both like, wow, this really sucks for her. And I, I still think that. I still do think it sucks that if you make all this music, you don't get to choose who owns it. But it's a lot harder when you take in sort of her whole platform and how she is known to conduct herself in regards to foes and friends in the press. And that's sort of been like, who's who Taylor Swift's hanging out with has been a bigger story than her music since 1989, I think. Basically since the tour for that album when she kind of would bring yeah. all of the, her squad members up on stage with her. I remember like, it was really four years ago because remember when the U.S. Women's National Team was at one of her shows after they won oh the, my God, the World yes. Cup? <laughs> so true. Oh my God. Like, it's funny that you we can measure it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that happens again. Um, but <laughs> yeah, this whole like celebrity aspect is overshadows sort of the heart of the, the two matters, which is for Taylor Swift specifically, does she get to own her music? And then broadly, like, who gets to own masters and whatnot? And the celebrity aspect of it is, like, kind of, like, brings this feud down a level. While delicious, and I would like to discuss with you right now, it also, like, makes me feel a little dirty because I am, like, ultimately, this is about, like, an artist and her art, whether people are prepared to call it that or not. But I would say many of her songs from Red in 1989 and Fearless and Speak Now are, are art. I really think that. No, I agree. I'm, like, such an early Taylor fan. Yeah. I mean, like, I, it's just—it's a shame that she doesn't own those things. And I also think that, like, even if her dispute with Scooter, people think it's petty, she still has a right to just be like, I don't want this man to own my music. Yeah. Like, she kind of gets to be frivolous in that case because it's like, that is just a terrible feeling. And you can just decide you don't like a person for no good reason, but still, like, want to control the thing that you made that you really value. So I like I really I'm on her side in that sense. I think that it's it's just really like you said, it's really gets complicated when we start to think about the celebrity aspect and also about like the economic aspect here, because, yes, her most famous songs will make a lot of money for like that backlog of her music catalog will stand as like a repeatedly played thing on all the services. But also being a pop star, so much of the money they make these days is about touring. Yeah. It's about merchandise. It's about, you know, like co- like sponsoring with brands and collabs. So in a way, she's like making way more money just by the fame that she's developed with the help of all those celebrity appearances, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to her music. And that's just the way pop mega stardom works these days. Right. Right. And so we can, let's talk about the celebrity aspect for a minute. So people from Scooter's Life who really have come back and sort of clap back are Demi Lovato is a, is a major one on Instagram saying she likes Scooter. His wife, Yael, had like a, a three-note slideshow on Instagram with yes. the notes disabled. <laughs> Do you follow Yael Cohen Braun on Instagram? You know, she's not a person I follow, but I was definitely up on that page today. I follow her <laughs> breathlessly. I'm like, no joke. I- wow. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I should reconsider. Well, one thing, one thing about Yael and Scooter is— they were at Carly Costa's wedding last weekend in Wyoming. I think they were at both weddings. And I believe that he, I believe Scooter manages Carly. Uh, yeah, he does. He does. And so that's like a kind of like a big part of this puzzle because no one will speak on it, but Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss were formerly very close and now they're not friends at all, it appears, based yes. on based on photo uh, research. And so I think like that is sort of like a a piece of this. It feels like there's just really two sides here and you know what side you fall on, essentially. It's in- well, one person who straddled was Ariana Grande. Did you see that? No. What did she say? So she posted, like, 
a great example of how congrats Twitter is like become a thing on all social media is like look at Scooter Braun's stories today. I know and they're all just all like him congratulating. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but she did a similar post and then she deleted it and actually replied to Taylor's Tumblr post, being like, "This is an important lesson in the music industry," and et cetera, et cetera. So trying to be like somewhat diplomatic, but just like basically withdrawing her support of Scooter and siding with Taylor's. I mean, I think she has to do that for her brand, but it was a very interesting sort of line straddling there. That is interesting. And also kind of what platform you choose to weigh in on, I think is is meaningful. Like Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift, both of their fans are on many platforms, but they have a real base on Tumblr that I think, yeah. if you're not on Tumblr, it's hard to understand. I mean, I'm not on Tumblr, so I find it hard to understand. Um, <laughs> it is. It's very hard to understand. <laughs> um but I, I do think, like, that's interesting, too. Like, and then, you know, meanwhile, Cara Delevingne jumped in the comments to, like, tell off Justin Bieber. And then, like I said, Demi Lovato used her Instagram stories. Like, it's such an interesting chapter in how celebrity feuds are carried out now, putting all of the business and moral stuff aside. No one is going through the publicist. Like, no one is releasing an official statement that's given to Variety, that's given to whomever. Like, the Wall Street Journal got the business story about that, that like, in some ways, like, legitimizes Ithaca Holdings and Scooter as a as a business and, like, a venture yeah. capitalist. But this is, like, sort of all outside the, the bounds of typical celebrity infrastructure until a few years ago. And it kind of, like, mirrors, like, the evolution of the music industry, too, like, from the albums to streaming and whatnot. It's it's just kind of, like, really fascinating. It is, as you said, it's it's a Super Bowl for us because it brings together so many of the things that we study and, like, are fascinated by on the ringer at any given time. Yeah, and I think the fact that, like, this feud is playing out with all these, like, you know, cross-postings of people who he manages— is just a, a testament to the legacy that Scooter has already built. Like, he was known as the YouTube talent agent. Right. You know, he discovered Justin Bieber, and he, you know, is behind the, like, Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe hit. And, he, you know, he's just, like, the way he did that was by cultivating, like, this massive social media following and encouraging artists to post about each other's work and interact on social media. I remember all these, like, weird sort of, like planned post between Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber and I was always so weirded out by it and then like when I discovered Scooter Braun was the mastermind behind all of it I was like oh this makes so much sense that's the story of Call um, Me Maybe I mean he's he yeah he seeded a viral video in 2012 that had Ashley Tisdale and Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber like in sweats dancing around and that song is still my favorite summer song of all time <laughs> <laughs> right and he yeah he did that like I have to give him credit that he was he foresaw this entire new revolution of social media and celebrity but the fascinating thing is now he can't control it. And in this case, Taylor Swift is sort of like focusing in on that very thing that he used to promote himself and uh, kind of using it to her own devices. I will say that like in each of these cases, they were able to use this like pretty incendiary message of, against one another to promote their own work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like she, at the end of her little note, she's like, by the way, Lover is coming up on August 23rd. Like that's a pretty obvious plug. Yeah. And in, he gets to promote Ithaca Holdings. So I think like they're both going to get richer. Just like every feud with Taylor Swift, each Someone's side always winning. richer. I know. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's always a winner within. Um, I think that's a good lesson to learn from that. <laughs> that's so true. What do you think happens next for Taylor Swift? I mean, the first two songs, I actually like You Need to Calm Down. And I don't I don't mind me because I, I happen to love the voice of, the vocals of Brendan Urie. 
But like, what do you think the next 12 months looks like for Taylor? She's got the album on the 23rd and then presumably a big tour in 2020. But what happens between then and now? I think we've already seen that no matter the quality of the music, she's already got this massive sort of pop-making machine, a hit-making machine, like, behind her, where, like, anytime she releases a song, it is immediately played um, at every sporting event and, like, in the background of every commercial. And she has, like, merch, like, directly connected to, like, stuff she's wearing in her music videos. So it's like, you know, she's going to make a ton of money. She's, I'm sure she's going to do well. Like, hundreds of thousands of people will come out and see her. It's not really, like, there's no crisis for Taylor Swift. Yeah. I should be clear about that. That being said, I think that, like, comparing sort of the release schedule of Lil Nas X versus her release schedule is a lesson in sort of Gen Z versus millennial music making. <laughs> and, and she, like, just very classically, she's like, you know, posing in front of Instagram walls. Like, it's a very millennial way of presenting yourself on social media. Very, like, tidy and and um, neat and cleaned up. And he's, like, posting memes and it's just, like, really casual about coming out. And, you know, there are lots of rumors about what's going to happen when Taylor Swift her, drops her album in relation to, like, her sexuality. Right. And I think just, like, the run-up to Lil Nas X's coming out versus, like, you know, the rumored run-up to Taylor Swift's is a really good example of like they're just differing philosophies about what it means to be a presence online. And so, I, you know, she's just going to continue aging out of a certain demographic if she keeps sticking with that. Right. I hope she goes into the next one. It's kind of like graduating to a different tax bracket. Let's let's, let's graduate to a different demographic, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> one final question for you, and this is pure speculation. Ithaca Holdings bought Big Machine for $300 million. Do you think it's possible Taylor Swift could not have done that herself? Like, she's got to have $300 million, don't you think? Yeah, but there's just, like, so much tangled stuff happening there. And I just don't even know if, like, you know, she doesn't want that responsibility. Yeah. All of a sudden, she's in charge of, like, people she collaborates label. with. Yeah. You know, like, Big Machine is a really big Nashville label. It's and now a it's big got- machine. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well named. But I, I think, like, that's just not something she's interested in doing. Like, maybe when she gets older, she can own a label. and But that's, like in a way, a role that requires being the man, and she definitely doesn't want to be the man. Right. All right, Alyssa, thank you for this insight. I really appreciate it. We'll keep talking Taylor Swift, I'm sure. Yes. And thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back. I'll be back on Wednesday with Amanda Dobbins for Jam Session, Tea Time on Friday. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to Ringer Dish yet, please do. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> 